Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times, and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining me today, it is Tom Roddy and Jonathan Northcroft. Guys, how are you, Tom? How are you keeping? Yes, good thanks, Nat. Yourself? Yes, very, very well, thank you. Um, it's going to be a busy one, I think, on this podcast. There's lots been happening this week, so it's going to be good to get our teeth into it all. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm really good, Nat. Yeah, I'm very well. How are you? Yes, all is fine this end. It seems crazy that uh, this weekend we've got the Community Shield and then it's sort of <laughs> back to football. It all kind of kicks off the following weekend with the EFL Cup action and it's like it's never stopped and it hasn't in some it's ways. Biz- it's bizarre and I, I actually can't go to the Community Shield because I'm still quarantined from the Champions Are League you? in Lisbon. Yeah, so I'm almost serving a ban from last season before this one starts. Oh, my goodness. That's cruel. Yeah. Very cruel. But, yeah, Tom, it's sort of all coming around fast, isn't it, this new season? Yeah, it doesn't feel like there was a, a break at all. No. Um, and for certain, for certain clubs, they definitely weren't at all. Um, but, no, I mean, I think as well, like the fixture lists coming out, um, I, I never get that excited about them anyway, really. But especially this season, it, it, it only just finished. Uh, you understand the kind of likes of Leeds coming up and for the first time in 16 years, but um, for the, the short break, it, 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 was, it, it wasn't all that thrilling. No, it wasn't. And I know what you mean about the fixture list day, because you kind of think, well, you know you are going to play everybody twice, so why do we get so mm. excited? But it, it's just one of those things, isn't it, that we have to look and see you know, who you're playing around Boxing Day and all those sort of key games that we all like to look forward to. But, yeah, it is not fast until that new season kicks off. And we've got loads coming up as we talk England, Chelsea and fax machines. All will be revealed. But first, could Lionel Messi really be on his way to Manchester? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So we start with the big story on the back of the Times today. Manchester City are optimistic about pulling off the biggest transfer coup in the history of English football by signing none other than Lionel Messi. The story explains that the club have worked for more than a week to tie up a deal and a City source revealed their confidence that a deal can be made. City appear to be in pole position ahead of Inter Milan to sign the 33-year-old after he informed Barcelona via a registered document that he wanted wanted to leave the club where he has spent his entire career. City have made it clear through Ferran Soriano, the chief executive who was previously at Barcelona, that they have the finances to conclude a deal and pay a transfer fee if necessary, but think a free move can be achieved. Jonathan, 
can you actually comprehend the idea that Messi, the Lionel Messi, could actually be on his way to the Premier League? <laughs> well, I mean, anything's possible. Now. <laughs> this, this, this year just feels like one long um, dream. But I guess for people in, in England, it would be one of the very nicest parts of, of that dream. I mean, it's something we've all, I guess, in our minds, I tried to picture at certain points, watching Messi, watching his genius unfold. Um, always in the Champions League or, or, or international or, or, or Spanish league setting, and, and part of me's always wondered what would it what would it be like? Um, what would it be like to to cover him week in week out in games? Of course, I've covered him in Europe, and you try and conjure up all the different matchups. You know, I mean, I don't know for some reason my mind immediately jumps to Sheffield United and. Um, you know, seeing if, if Baldock and Stevens <laughs> could limit him on the flanks, and then you know, Connell could get him in the middle, and you think of Burnley and and and, and all those kind of scenarios. Um, I mean, it would be a real treat for us. He's such a genius, and mm. um, showing uh, you know, genius has got a way of flourishing everywhere, and just just seeing how he would find a way to succeed, which I'm sure he would in England, would be fascinating. Have you seen him live before, Jonathan? Yeah, I've seen him in the Champions League. Um, yes home and away but the the one the performances that really um sort of spring to mind most actually were, were in the 2014 world cup with argentina and i think until seeing him in that tournament i probably hadn't quite appreciated um how good a passer of the ball he is yes his dribbling i'd seen that and his, his, his goal scoring of course but he plays a slightly deeper role at times for argentina in that game and there's a pass he played against belgium it's just like burning on my mind forever. It'll be one of those football memories I take to the grave that was just <laughs> sublime. Out of this world, a long pass from the outside of his foot to release Di Maria. And I can still see it in my mind um, uh, in Brazil. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've seen it close up. But to see that, you know, to see that over a season would just be marvellous. Mm, to see him week in, week out. What about you, Tom? Have you, have you ever been lucky enough to, to witness him in the flesh? I've not actually, and, no, and I feel envious, so envious listening mm. to Johnny talk. <laughs> um, and I think also the, sh the shame is I'd love, I'd, lo I'd love to see him play, and I'm determined to before he does retire. But it, there would be a kind of hint of uh, disappointment about not seeing him play for Barcelona in mm. a way. Mm. I mean, you take him whatever shirt he's wearing, whether he's wearing a, a, a raggedy vest down at the local park I'd love to see that but <laughs> I know what you mean though I mean obviously that that is where he's hit the heights of it that's where he spent his in, entire footballing career so it would seem odd to not see him in a Barcelona context but we are getting excited about the prospect of him coming to the Premier League it's not a done deal by by any stretch but for you Tom is Manchester City the most attractive offer to Messi I think it adds up You've got the financial power to make it possible. You've got the quality of the team and the squad. And, and of course, the project, which is what we keep hearing Messi is, is meant to be after, what he's looking for, a short-term project. And then you've also got the familiarity of a club which, which to Messi, which no other club could really offer him. Uh, at Barcelona, there's... there's probably been no player at the top level who has had as much influence as a club the Messi's had at Barcelona and I suspect he would feel at City maybe not as much the influence but the the personal connection to those in power is 
is already in place for him. You, obviously, mm. Guardiola is manager, Soriano's there, Chief Exec, Begirasign as director of football. And I don't think the others who, are, who, who have the financial power to make this possible could really compete with that. The closest is probably PSG having Neymar, uh, Neymar and Mbappe but otherwise I think it adds up for City mm. it, it does seem as though there are so many things that point towards that a Manchester City move would be the right move for Messi do you think Jonathan this would be a defining signing for Sheikh Mansour in that era at City yeah it would it, it would be I guess if you're trying to build a football club um, then it's kind of the ultimate prize if you're putting the building blocks together to get the the best player in the world, maybe the best in, in history. So it would be the culmination of, of things. And, you know, it, it's, it's not like they, um, when when they took over Manchester City, they kind of did the, the Venkies at Blackburn thing and immediately chased Ronaldinho sort of thing. I know they signed Rubinho straight away, but but very quickly then settled into a long-term plan. And, and there was a long-term plan behind recruiting Pep Guardiola, for example, with the recruitment of Ferran Soriano and Chiqui Bagheristan first to provide that Barcelona context. So Messi's always been part of the the dream, a long, you know, long term dream that they've been they've been working for and building for. And and you know one of the intriguing angles is that they 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 could possibly swing this through their global network of clubs, which is one of the things that might enable them to sign them and, and I guess offload some of the costs and ambassadorial terms and also offer him a bigger contract because he could then go to America at the end of his his career. So that's another part of the architecture that they've been planning for. You know, they, they didn't put that in place to specifically get messy, but they knew that that made um, their business more attractive. So it's something they've been building towards, I guess. The ultimate thing, of course, is winning the Champions League for them. So that mm. is the ultimate part of the design. But having Messi in a City shirt was, would have been right at the top of the kind of wish list when Sheikh Mansour took over and, and this is closer than we've ever seen to it being realised. It has also been reported in Spain that Pep Guardiola, who spent four years as his Barcelona manager, has spoken in person to Messi. Tom, I know you've alluded to this already, so I'll ask you, Jonathan, could that relationship with Guardiola be the deciding factor in this deal? Uh, I think the deciding mean call me a horrible cynic I think the deciding factor would probably be money actually because <laughs> just getting him out and, and paying him the right money but but yes I mean stripping that away in football terms Messi's looking I guess to rediscover the the, the, the love and the um, security that he, he felt he had at Barcelona and um, you know Guardiola was the coach didn't he didn't invent Messi? I mean, Messi played in the Champions League final under Rijkaard in two thousand six as a sub. But so, but he, he certainly was the one that um, I suppose brought him um, to his peak, and um, they had the probably the greatest success together. And I think knowing how I think Guardiola is quite a kind of is clannish the right word quite. You know, he's quite a tight-knit person who trusts people that he knows, he's known for a long time, trusts his own, as it were, which is why there's a big network of Catalans around him. And I've always got the impression Messi's the same, that he's a similar character, small, you know, introvert, closed circle. Um, so for him to move anywhere, there'd have to be a lot of familiarity there, I think. And um, Pep, and not just him, but having Bagheristan and Soriano and probably... 
you know, the white, there's other people there that were in Guardiola's circle for a long time. I think that would be really attractive to him. And of course, mm. Pep as a coach, of course, would be the other layer to that. Yeah, and there's his friend Sergio Aguero as well that happens to be at Manchester City. <laughs> uh, so there are, as I mentioned before, lots of key factors that could help to persuade Messi to join Manchester City. And, and Tom, would bringing Messi to the club be a bigger achievement for Guardiola than, than winning the league? I think it would be a more memorable achievement than winning the league and, and a more defining moment in his era at the club. Because I suppose, given the money... Uh, Manchester City had they'd, they'd won the league before Guardiola came uh, obviously that's something they wanted to do they wanted to bring a style of football but they were already in that category of clubs who you expected to be competing for the title and Guardiola's Guardiola is meant to take them to the next level in in being a, a Champions League winning club so and I think Messi can could help them could help them do that I also think that the saying about it being this sort of defining moment, you kind of city are now a, a, a global club, as Johnny spoke about with their sort of network. And I think signing someone like Messi, or almost in the way that Tottenham getting Mourinho and taking that that superstar status, I think it would be a defining moment in that way as well. Even more importantly for the city hierarchy, you touched on it a little bit there. Jonathan, is Messi the missing link for the club and winning that elusive Champions League title? Uh, um, I mean, yes and no, because uh, it's, it's actually not the area of the pitch that they need most to strengthen. <laughs> Very true. Um, but, um, you know, signing the best player in the world is, is possibly the best single piece of recruitment you can do to, to improve your team, however, wherever he plays. I guess the only thing is the lessons that we've seen, or the harsh lessons that Messi himself has learned over the last few years is if the team isn't right, you won't win that Champions League. It's too difficult. And Barcelona have fallen short. Um, and if you put Messi into the team that I saw lose to Lyon, then no, that, that, I don't think that would make the difference. So there have to be other improvements. Um, they have to try and sign Koulibaly or someone else to improve them defensively. There has to be probably a, a bit of a change of, of approach there. But, but it, it, he is the biggest single thing and, and he would, I guess, arrive on a bit of a mission as well. Um, I would, I would I, you know, they're, they're close um, and he would give them the best, a, a very good chance, but him and himself wouldn't quite be enough. I think I, I'm kind of, the hesitancy in my voice is because I kind of, do I, actually want to make any predictions against Lionel Messi's genius. <laughs> it's just we've seen it for Barcelona and Argentina. Him by himself, he can't win it alone. City are a marvellous team, but they've got obvious flaws, and they didn't go out of that Champions League because they're poor attacking-wise. They went out because they couldn't defend, and Guardiola yeah. didn't trust the defensive personnel that he had. There are, of course, some potential stumbling blocks for City with a looming legal dispute between Messi and Barcelona over whether he can leave for nothing. In normal circumstances, Barcelona would have pushed for a world record transfer fee, but both sides are anxious to avoid a court battle 
and a likely compromise would be for the club to accept a fee of more than 100 million euros, the sum Juventus paid for Cristiano Ronaldo in 2018 when he was 33. Messi's contract is worth a minimum of £78 million a year in wages and image rights payments and as much as £100 million with performance bonuses. There's also the question of a €70 million Euro loyalty bonus due to be paid to Messi if he completes his four-year contract with Barcelona, which is due to expire in June of 2021 and would potentially be jeopardised if he moves before them. But should City ignore the financial cost to get him or only do the deal, Tom, if it's truly beneficial for them? I think it can only be, it can only be beneficial to them to get to get Lionel Messi. Um, I don't think there's there's really a downside to it, especially with a club with seemingly bottomless finances. I mean, the the, the obvious concern is is financial fair play, which they've had a, a problem with just over the last year. But given it was only three years ago that PSG spent £365 million on Neymar and Mbappe in, in one summer, um, I don't see it as being a particular problem for financial fair play in, in the long run now. So what about you, Jonathan? Do you think FFP comes into this? Well, I mean, it's interesting that, that, that since City won their case at, at CAS, um, then they've just gone into full old-fashioned City transfer mode and so Chelsea. And, and there's, a, there's a feeling that, that um, whatever, the, you know, the, 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 the law is just not going to apply as strictly as it used to. And I must admit, my personal sort of belief in FFP uh, as a viable entity died that day with with the city ruling. I, th- I just I think it is more or less dead. So yeah, I think I, th- I think that's I think the biggest worry would be, as I understand the financials, yeah, they could afford him if it was a free transfer. I mean, it would probably cost in the region of two hundred million pounds in wages over three years, which is a lot. But if you think about signing. Um, you know, a, a top player for let's say 80, 80 million pounds, giving them a five-year contract, it kind of works out at roughly the same. But if you do throw that transfer fee on top of it, if if, if Messi can't um, win the right to leave for free, and there is the liability of a six hundred million pound buyout, then not even Man City could uh, could afford that. And would they make their money back? Um, Probably not in the short term. No, ma- mm. no amount of shirt sales or sponsorship deals is probably going to recoup it. But I think I think what they'd be thinking of is a long-term thing. That that's the thing that elevates your club to um, gives it that longevity, that kudos and glamour that you can mine for the next 50 years. So I guess that's what the the, the financial argument for it would be. What is your feeling on this, Tom? Uh, do you think we will see Messi at City? Maybe it's the optimistic side of things, or the or or just the the hope of seeing him week in week out. And as I said, on a personal note, having things play, um, <laughs> ticking that off. Um, I th- I think so. I get, the problem I think is that there, there's kind of been a talk of whether this is a power play at Barcelona mm. um, with the whole dispute with Bartomeu and the and the board, but. Going to to this extent of of actually, you know, sending the the document in, the transfer request in, um, I, I, it feels to me like it's gone too far for him to go back. And 
I think City makes the most sense of any club by far, really. So it's yes, is the answer. <laughs> you're, you're going for a strong yes. Um, but it is interesting, and it's right to raise that the point of the power play and the power struggle at, at Barcelona. There is obviously some ill feeling towards the current president, Bartomeu, and there is a suggestion, Jonathan, of course, that this is all... Uh, being brought about by you know trying to force him out of power a new president comes in Xavi um, one of obviously Messi's former teammates and friends comes in as the new boss and it's all happy and rosy once again because Messi then decides to stay but if that doesn't happen what's your hunch are you as optimistic as Tom is no I'm not I'm, I'm probably um, I'm probably all the more cynical just generally <laughs> but but um I, I I think we've seen it before. That's why that, I think that's why there's a suspicion of it being a power play. We've we've seen this before, but as Tom's right to say this is it's never got to this extent. They've gone a long way down the road. Both parties, um, you know, since Messi's um, transfer request or whatever, then uh, it's got it's gone into the hands of the lawyers. It hasn't be hasn't ended up in talks or anything. So there's there's a big rift. But if I was betting, I would st- I, I I still see the, the most likely outcome as a Bartomeu resignation and Messi mm. staying. Um, but it's now almost 50-50, I would say. It's never been closer. And I, I think he's demonstrated at, at, at last that he, he, he will seriously contemplate leaving. This isn't a, I'm just unhappy. This is, this is, this is you know, he's... He, he'll walk, I think, if he doesn't get what he wants. He's, he's, he's made that clear. It's not. This isn't a, a kind of bluff. I think is what I'm trying to say. So he's mm. made that clear. But I do think that ultimately um, it, it ends in. I just I can't see how Bartomeu's position is tenable at all. It didn't feel no. tenable before any of this, to be honest. After eight two, it didn't feel tenable. And I, I, I suspect this might just push it over the brink. Yeah, this could well be the tipping point. Now, there was one particular detail of Messi's transfer request to Barcelona that caught the eye. The biggest player on the planet sent the request, so it's suggested, by fax. Now, that might not be a fax in the way some of us think of a fax, but it does conjure up some sort of of an image of Messi happily living in a social media-free world with no smartphones nor tablets and computers and perhaps just lives in the 1980s. But the question is, Tom, when was the last time... You sent a fax. I, I don't think I ever have, actually. No. Um, I, I remember my my father was a salesman and used to get his appointments through on a fax. And his office used to call through each day and tell me to get off the internet as the line would only work on one, one, one machine at the time. So the fax couldn't come through. <laughs> okay. So would you even know how to use a fax machine, Tom? I, I think so. I, I, I'm fairly sure, sure I could cobble through. Okay. Well, that's something. That's better than, you know, you see some of these like videos, don't you, on social media of, play, of people being given, a, I don't know, a videotape or a cassette tape and they've been given a machine to put it into and they have no idea what they're doing with it. So at least you're on the right track there, Tom. Jonathan, what about you and fax machines? Were they yes. your friends? Yes, I've used faxes. I'm very old. I um, have too, though. I have. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, they they were quite the thing in the day, weren't they? Um, they were. I used to do used to do an in, interview requests were always by fax. Um, I used to send my expenses by fax. More at the point, um, <gasps> and uh, I I remember um, a colleague of mine used to um, even conduct interviews by fax. You know, in the way that um, 
people sometimes you can do an email interview now with somebody who doesn't want to speak on the phone but you might be able to email them some questions and <laughs> he used to he used to um he used to sort of send you know one question faxes and get get answers back and no. I think it was an agent he did it with. Yeah, he worked for the Scottish Sun. Yeah, and um, he'd get faxes back, and that would um, that would be how he interviewed sometimes. But um, yeah, 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 no, I I, I can I, I remember them only too well, I'm afraid. Yes, I remember them too, and getting that little report. It's been delivered. Yes. I remember getting all that. Yes, I remember and that. Do you, and, and do you remember when you'd 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 phone? You thought it was somebody's phone number, and it would actually be their fax machine. Oh, and that horrible noise that <laughs> yeah. would connect it on you. Oh, yes, I oh. do. See, Tom, this is all you missed out on. All this, it's brilliant. But of course, I mean. Jonathan, I don't want to hark on about how old yeah. most, must both be, but you must have used to have to send match reports over the phone and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, look I want to make clear, first of all, I'm, I'm only 49. I'm not, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not like Victorian or something like that. But yeah, I mean, just thinking through some of the old technology. I mean, I remember car phones. Do you remember car phones? Oh, yes. Yeah. Before mobiles, the, people, the, yeah. you know, real movers and shakers had car phones. So. I remember getting a few players and managers on their car phone. Match reports by phone, definitely. I used to, um, my early days, would, would, would write them out longhand. And you, know, you had to basically race to a public phone somewhere. Um, yes. Or even, like the Grand National in Aintree, which I did a couple of times, um, you, you, you might knock on someone's door if you're desperate. You couldn't get a phone and just ask them if they could use their phone. And then you'd, you'd phone a copy taker who would basically, it was an audio typist, who would, who would take down... Uh, what you'd written, you'd, you'd, you'd get some pretty embarrassing errors that way. Um, do, do you know what, Jonathan? I was one of those people. I was a copy taker when I was at university, yeah. And I used to dread it because I used to think, what <laughs> if I don't know how to spell this? Or, and I, oh, it panicked me. It really did. <laughs> well, I, I, did you ever do the Scottish match reports? Because I remember oh, I don't know. feeling, yeah, we used to phone, I, I think it was in Preston, there was a bureau, and we used to feel really sorry for some of the Scottish names and Scottish accents, it, you, you know, <laughs> clearly the copy ticker didn't have any idea what you were talking about, Falkirk v. Kilmarnock or something <laughs> like that. And, um, but the, 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 do you remember acoustic couplers? I'm sure you're too young for that, Matt. Acoustic couplers? No, what's no. that? Well, oh, gosh, I, we're really going back in the ages, <laughs> I feel. I love in this conversation. I, well, I mean, this this is like, this almost feels a dream that this ever happened. But I've actually, actually like checked up on the internet that this thing didn't exist did exist and i didn't dream it so acoustic couplers and i used these at the 98 world cup from france they were like a pair of um suckers that you put on either end of a telephone and plugged into your laptop and then by some kind of magic the copy that you had on your laptop would be sent through the phone using these um suction pads and what? this and there's a, there's, there's a, they, they crop up in 80s films, actually. You can find them in a few 80s films. Um, but yeah, so I, we were sent to the, the France World Cup. I had my first mobile phone, but that wasn't to be used for copies and all that kind of stuff because um, the bills were just too astronomical. So it was, it was acoustic couplers from the hotel room for sending copy. Well, I have never heard of that before. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, um, you I, I'm guessing that was short-lived, the acoustic couplers, because I don't remember uh, them. But anyhow. No. Well, there you go. <laughs> but we do have to question, do we sort of miss some of the old technology that we now uh, you know, no longer have in modern life? So let me ask you, yeah. Jonathan, first. Do you 
prefer books over tablets or are you more happy now to have everything on hand on an iPad or whatever it is that you might read off Kindles no, and things? No. I'm 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 a, I'm a big I'm still a big um, book in the hand reader. Yeah. Um, although I do I have actually got into reading newspapers on on my my smartphone now. Something I never thought I'd do. So I guess I'm changing as well. But but yeah, still I'd still read a book over a tablet. Yes. So but you are moving with the times. That's yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> um, but what about you, Tom? Do you still like a good old-fashioned book? Yeah. I mean, I went to I got a got a Kindle. Um, and thought it was great, and then read a book on uh, an old traditional hard book back, <laughs> and uh, and have left the Kindle for good now. Um, <gasps> I don't think, yeah, I don't think it'll. Uh, you can't pass on a book in a Kindle. You can't lend it to someone, can you? So uh, that's um, true. I think it's a shame. That is true. What about Polaroid cameras, Tom? Did you ever have one of those? I, I'm talking I, the old school ones, not the new. I was version. going to say it's probably it's pro- I've probably had one, but it was probably a, in a retro sense. Oh. <laughs> um, yes, I, I, which yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. Oh, see, I used to love my Polaroid camera, especially when you'd you'd sit there and you'd be like wafting it, trying to dry it off. Jonathan, does that ring a bell? <laughs> I've seen, I've seen the. I remember the, the photographers that used to go to games. I've seen you know, drying off their negatives and stuff was a big thing. But my eldest daughter's got one, um, yes. and um, it is as Tom says, it's a kind of retro thing now, but it's good for kids because um, digital just you know, all, all kind of gets lost and you don't necessarily want them running around via phone. But, uh, yeah, they're little, little Polaroids. Do you still have to dry them off, though? Like I was saying, like... No. No? No, 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 no. They just they oh. come out um, very small and, and dry. Yeah, so drying oh. technology is there now. Well, there you go. <laughs> They've got some sort of fan inside them that <laughs> make them all know. right. Uh, and what about vinyl? Were you Obviously, Jonathan, you must have loved the vinyls. Yeah, I've got I, my first records with vinyl. I've st- I, I still got a few vinyl records. Um, I, uh, I I remember cassettes as well. I used to buy a lot of stuff on cassette. And I think some real hipster bands now release things on cassette just to be even Do more. they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, just to be even more kind of like, Ooh, like muso that. and retro yeah, than, than vinyl. But yeah, no, I, I, and then, of course, the CD was really exciting. Wow, the CD. Mm. Um, and it's funny how the CDs kind of disappeared and there's still, there's still vinyl and, and the old cassette. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't it funny? I used to love going every Saturday into my local Woolworths to get, yeah. you know, to see the top 40 and pick up my little oh, yes. cassette singles and, and all sorts. And I remember having Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion, part one and two on cassette. Oh, yeah. I loved it. The loved it. The top 40. The top 40. What happened to that? I know. Yeah. The proper top 40, that <laughs> exactly. was. Tom, are you, are you just sitting <laughs> thinking, what are these old fogies talking about? Well, I had a, a very embarrassing moment the other day, or I found it embarrassing, where I have a, a, a um, record player and had one on, and I think I was washing up at the time, and I called out to it to skip the song, thinking no. it would be Alexa. <laughs> no! Oh, that's brilliant. Fantastic. I wish that was caught on camera. That would have been yeah, brilliant. Oh, dear. Do you know, it's nice to take a little trip down memory lane, wasn't it? Oh, let's move on. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Manchester United goalkeeper Dean Henderson has signed a new six-year contract with the club and will go head-to-head with David De Gea next season for the number one jersey at Old Trafford. The deal will see the 23-year-old earning up to £120,000 a week, making him one of the best-paid goalkeepers in world football. Henderson spent the past two campaigns on loan at Sheffield United, helping the Blaze to promotion to the Premier League in 2019 before an impressive debut top-flight campaign last season where they finished ninth how good is dean henderson tom well i think i remember listening to chris wilder talking last year in quite a few post-match interviews where he would play down the performances of, of dean henderson and that he was in goal to make saves that was his job so he wasn't going to go overboard with it and really I wonder whether it was it would part of it was to do with the fact he just hoped he could hold on to him for one more year because he really is that good in a time when we do have quite a few um, decent England goalkeepers I think he's very quickly going to become the number one and I think that's why we're we're seeing him be promoted quickly through at, at Manchester United a lot quicker than we probably expected him to, given mm. David De Gea's role. So, is this a good deal, Jonathan, for Henderson and the club? Do you think it makes sense? I mean, you kind of bulk when you, you you sort of reflect on him being one of the best paid goalkeepers in the world, but that that that's just where we are with Premier League wages and, and playing for Manchester United. But they, they, I don't think they can lose with this as a United because they've tied him down on the long term. He's clearly going to be um, a first class goalkeeper for someone, and we'll, they'll be able to you know cash in on him if if it doesn't work out for him. If De Gea maybe you know retains his form or, or Henderson doesn't quite cut it, he'll still be, I'm sure he'll be a you know, very good Premier League goalkeeper. So they can't lose from it from that point of view. But from his point of view, I think it's the right thing. You know, the the, the, the idea that he should go and loan again, I think he's done enough of that. I think De, De Gea is vulnerable. Um, this is probably his opportunity to try and displace him. If you want to demonstrate to your manager that you've got the confidence to be the Manchester United goalkeeper, 
then you say, yeah, I'm staying, and I'm going to get that guy's shirt. So I think I think Solskjaer will like what Henderson um, mm. wanting to stay and fight for his place as well. So it, it it's a it's a good deal. Whether it whether it'll happen, whether he's good enough, I'm still not sure. But um, it's encouraging news. For it's, it's I think it's the right step for him, and we'll I think we will find out. So what you're not sure what this season if he can become number one or in general at Manchester United? No, I I just say that because. Um, the standards required to be a goalkeeper for one of the very, very top clubs are enormous. You know, you, you can make a mistake for Sheffield United, and he did make a couple last year, made one against Liverpool, and you get another chance. You make it at the top for the top top clubs. It's just unrelenting, and you have, you, you know, it's, it's difficult for players um, to to deal with that sometimes. That said, he's always struck me, and everything I've heard about him is that he's a very self confident and and mentally tough lad. Um, so he probably can handle the mental side. But as mm. I say, it, it, it's only a small, small, small percentage of players, and especially goalkeepers and strikers, I think, that can play at the top, top clubs because of that unforgiving nature. And until you see them in action, um, that's where I've got doubts. It's just because I haven't seen him do it yet. Mm. Um, got the potential, but until you see it, you can't say he's definitely a Manchester United goalkeeper. Tom, Jonathan's mentioned there about David De Gea will want to recapture his form because obviously a lot of us have been questioning him because of what happened last season for Manchester United. When you consider we have the Euros next summer, De Gea will want to be playing in that. You'd have thought Henderson, being an ambitious young goalkeeper, will also have an eye on that as well. So do you not think in some ways it's surprising that he hasn't thought to go out on loan again this coming season? to try and get himself into the, maybe that number one England spot. I see what you mean. There's, there is a bit of a, a risk there that if, if De Gea starts the season and if he continues, if he returns to the form that, you know, I think he, he won, he's been named in the Premier League Team of the Year five of the last eight seasons. So if he returns to that form, then he's, he's, a, he's still undroppable. Um, and so it, it's slightly a risk there. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the situation at Chelsea a few years back when they had Petr Cech and Thibaut Courtois on their books. And you've got two top-class goalkeepers, who, both of which one is meant to be the heir to the other's, uh, other's throne. Um, but it's different in two ways. The first is that there are or were big question marks over David Gea whether he's still the same goalkeeper he was. And the other is is the age. Of course, he's three years younger than Czech was, I think, at that time, um, and has many years left. So the decision over Henderson is, is sort of an indication to, to everyone involved that Henderson is kind of taking over, I think. Um, so I, I, mean, I think he should be starting sort of straight away. Interesting. Well, last season at Sheffield United, Henderson made more saves and conceded fewer goals than De Gea in the Premier League. They both kept 13 clean sheets, but crucially, De Gea made three errors leading to goals compared to just the one from Henderson. De Gea has made seven errors leading to goals over the past two seasons in the Premier League, more than he'd made over the previous seven campaigns combined. And in June... The Manchester United manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, said he expects Henderson will become both England and United's future number one goalkeeper. Lots at stake then for both of these players coming into this new season. 
Where do you stand on this one, Jonathan? Should Henderson be given the opportunity to start as Manchester United's number one? So it's a tough one because um, De Gea's, yeah, what service he's given United, he's been captain. And to, 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 to sort of knock him out of it now without giving him the first, the first dibs at the shirt would be a real um, hard one for him to recover from personally. Um, so that it's a, there's a man management element to it. But if you're going on who is the likeliest bet right now, I think I'd agree with Tom that just from what we saw of last season, Henderson is, is probably in the better form and right now is a safer bet. So I'm giving you a bit of a fence-sitting question, <laughs> answer, but that's what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got to weigh up. What does it do to David De Gea if he drops him straight away? Hmm. Um, I think maybe the answer is that there's, there's a lot of games and you, you, you give one of them the Champions League campaign, maybe like Barca did with Ter Stegen and Bravo a few years ago, and you give one of them, or you give one of them the Cups and you give one of them the League, let's say, um, and that might be the way to do it in the, in the short term. And that certainly would be the diplomatic way of doing it. But obviously, like we mentioned, De Gea had a difficult season last season for Manchester United. Tom, you've suggested that maybe they should give Henderson the opportunity to try out as number one. If that is the case, would Manchester United just be better off getting rid of De Gea? Uh, Quite possibly, yeah. I I think, I mean, I suppose you've got the insurance policy of if everything went, went really wrong with with Dean Henderson um then you've got a, a more you know more than capable goalkeeper still there um but if they're showing every face in 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 Henderson that he will be you know that he can be United's number one then I actually found it strange to to happen this way round um with the the five year deal that Henderson signed whether they would have got rid of De Gea maybe before that was that was done because they could have got maybe more money on his a fee if they were going to sell him. So I I'd be surprised unless he decided that he wanted to leave. I'd be surprised if he he left this summer. Hmm. Well, this week, Henderson was named in the England squad for September's Nations League games against Iceland and Denmark. He's yet to make his England debut, being in the squad with England's current number one, Jordan Pickford, as well as Burnley's Nick Pope. When asked about his goalkeeping situation, Gareth Southgate said this. I think we have three decent goalkeepers. I think they are the best three in the country at the moment. In every position on the field, we've got to have that competition. It's 10 months since we played. There have been fluctuations in form during that time. I've also got to bear in mind that Jordan has had excellent performances for us with England, has never let us down in terms of his performances for us. Let's put our international hats on this one. And, and Jonathan, if you wouldn't mind, just pretend you're English, maybe. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, uh, but no, no, I don't want you to do that. Absolutely <laughs> no. not. But in terms of England, should jo- Jordan Pickford keep his place? Has he done enough to, to remain as England's number one? Well, I, I think Gareth's got to try. I think, I think he's got to give a serious look to the other two this, this, this year because he's got, he's actually got 16 games. I think when you counted up, there might be 16 England games this year. There's the, the, but there's, there's, there's only four um, get-togethers, there's sort of longer periods, sort of three three fixtures at a time, I think, in, in two of them. And I think he's just got to use that because 
uh, a problem when they've had going into tournaments has been not being not having a number one and no you know no no sort of decent number twos because they haven't been they haven't been played enough. And yeah, Pickford has he let England down? No. Um, has he shown vulnerability? Yes. I mean, he did at the Nations League. He had a very good World Cup, of course. But I do think Gareth just needs to find alternatives just so that he knows what's what and. and Henderson has, has, has definitely got you know, got to be one of those things he plays, plays he tries out. Pope's never had a proper run, and maybe he needs to look at Ramsdale as well, just so that when he mm. goes to that tournament, um, he's got a really clear idea of, of, of what's what. Because Pickford isn't so convincing that you just say, you know what, we've got our number one, and there's no question about it. Um, yeah, I think they, they do need backup options. It does, though, sound, Tom, when you look back to what Southgate said about Jordan Pickford. You know, he is saying, well, we've got to think back to those England performances. He's never let us down. And and I don't know, in some ways that suggests that maybe Southgate wants to stick by Jordan Pickford. But when you look at his club form and his performances over a season, hasn't been brilliant. Should a goalkeeper be dropped because of club form, even if he's had a good record with the England team? Well, uh, I think Southgate has also spoken about, uh, throughout his time in charge, about picking the squad based on players who are in form for their clubs. You know, we've only we've just seen Danny Ings get called up um, for the first time in uh, in five years um, because of you know he's forced himself into it, and I think we've seen. People drop out because of their their club form, like John Stones and and of course Carl Walker, who's back now, but he he seemed to drop out because of his form. So I I, I think club form has to come into it with the goalkeeper as well. And and Jordan Pickford's made quite a few errors in the last couple of years that that doesn't suggest you'd have complete faith in him. Um, and and Johnny's completely right. I completely agree in that England need a goalkeeper who you do have faith in going into the tournament, and someone who's who's had quite a few games as well. It's, it can't be a lottery heading up to it. Chelsea have signed England left-back Ben Chilwell from Leicester on a five-year deal for £45 million. Chilwell is Chelsea's third edition of the summer after the arrivals of winger Hakim Ziyech, who's 27, from Ajax, and the striker Timo Werner, 24, from RB Leipzig. The defender, 23, is a Leicester Academy product who made his debut for the club in 2015 and had a contract with the Foxes until 2024. Now, he missed the final five matches of the 2019-20 season with a foot injury. Chelsea took fourth place and a Champions League place at the expense of Leicester on the final day of the Premier League season in July. Is Ben Chilwell ready to make the step up to Chelsea, Jonathan? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, he's he, you know Leicester's defence was better than Chelsea's defence last year. So um, I would say he's got no worries about that. He's a very confident lad who, um, when he made his England debut, he, he had that knack of making it look as if he'd, he'd played for England for quite a long time. He, he'll, he'll see himself as capable, his confidence and ability will take him there. Um, so it, it's a pretty good signing. I do have a caveat, which is that, that Chilwell's best part of his game is probably going forward and not going the other way. And mm-hmm. maybe Chelsea, you could say that the whole Chelsea team. But he's a wonderful footballer. Um, 
uh, and he'll he'll fit in with that young uh, team that they're trying to build. Do you think, Jonathan, that if he that he could have stayed if Leicester had made the top four? No, I don't think so because uh, this is something that this one's been worked on for about eighteen months, and and um, he's seen this as a as a progression for himself for quite some time. So, I I mean. Had they made the top four at the expense of Chelsea? Possibly, but um, I, I, I think this was quite a long way down the line even before the end of the season. Well, he's not the first lesser player, of course, to move to Stamford Bridge. He's joining fellow Foxes Danny Drinkwater and N'Golo Kante at Chelsea, which continues that model of selling one of their stars every year since Kante left for Chelsea in 2016. Drinkwater followed him to West London in 2017. Other outgoings have seen Riyad Mahrez moving to Manchester City in 2018 and Harry Maguire joined Manchester United in 2019. It balances the books and allows reinvestment for Leicester on what is not a bad return at all. Those five players cost a total of £24.1 million. Leicester then sold them collectively for £250 million over four years and still finished above Arsenal and Tottenham last season. When you hear those figures that I've just mentioned, Tom, is this shrewd business from Leicester? It's it's a hell of a lot of money for a left-back, yes. isn't it? Um, even though they are becoming increasingly, full-backs becoming increasingly influential and important um, figures in a in a team. And, and it's just another step on um, Leicester's reputation as as a, as a brilliant club that goes about their business the, the right way. Um, I, I also wonder whether there's an element, uh, like Johnny said, it, this was a deal that was going for, for quite a while, has been on the cards for quite a while. But as well with other deals this kind of summer, I wonder whether there's some element of cashing in before the, the real implications of the, the COVID-19 crisis actually impacts football. There's, I've, I've felt that there's a, a, a feeling that, it, you know, a year on from now, we might see a few um, transfer fees deflate a little bit. Um, so that there, there may be an element of that, but Leicester uh, are certainly a club to be admired with their history in the transfer market. Mm. Chilwell, as we mentioned, then ended last season with an injury, which has ruled him out of England duty. And, Gareth Southgate didn't pick a recognised left-back in his 24-man squad for the upcoming Nations League games against Iceland and Denmark. These are the defenders that he's chosen. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Eric Dyer, Joe Gomez, Michael Keane, Tyrone Mings, Kieran Trippier and Carl Walker. So, Tom, who is going to play left-back? I'd have thought Joe Gomez possibly will do. Um, I mean, it would be a shame out of the centre-backs there, he's, he's probably the um, most established now without Harry Maguire. But, of course, when he did come in at uh, Liverpool, when he was first coming through, he did play left-back and he's very capable of that, um, unless Southgate is going to play Carl Walker there. Um, I mean, the, 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 it did seem a strange decision to me not to have any left-backs in, in the squad. The, the, the one sort of omission... That surprised me more than more than most, more than Jack Grealish was not having Bakaya Saka in the squad. But for his incredible former Arsenal and and for this reason as well, you know the versatility has and and being a left back, being short of them in the squad, I saw it as an opportunity.
Bukayo Sako called up to the England under-21s instead of the senior side. Where, who do you think could play left-back in your mind, Jonathan? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Tom um, that the most likely uh, player is probably Gomez. Um, I guess Tyrone Mings could just about Yes, do it. he has played as left-back uh, in his career. Um, whether you'd want him to play as an international left-back, um, mm. I don't know. But then again, Iceland are a bit of a set-piece team. Uh, not don't really attack you down the wings, so maybe that's part of the thinking. We were looking at the squad, talked to Gareth on, on Tuesday as part of a Sunday's group, and we were tr- trying to figure out, is he going back three? But there's no natural wing-backs in there. So it's a, it is the weirdest part of the, 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 the squad, I'd say. And, and Tom's bang on, Saka was the natural one to get the choice, get a chance. I think apart from him, you may be looking at Bertrand or Cresswell or someone like that. But... Um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a funny one because there's there's the game against Denmark as well, of course, and they probably will attack you down the flank. What about Ben Chilwell then, Tom? Do you think he can go on to become not only Chelsea's but England's number one left back? Because no one's really nailed down that position since Ashley Cole. So could it be Ben Chilwell's? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, we've, there's a lot of talent there. I mean, it will, you know, talking about Bakaya Saka, it will be interesting to see how how he develops over the, the next few years. But I think Ben Chilwell isn't as, right now, he's not as capable as Ashley Cole was defensively. And he's probably not quite as good as him going forward yet. But uh, there's, there's certainly the the potential there, um, and I think as well if if he gets to if he if he gets to play consistently as as the number one choice, then I think he, he can he can challenge Cole's um, kind of title. But mm-hmm. he, he actually Cole was just the the world class left back and one of the only real world class players in in that England team. So Chilwell is another new face in Chelsea. It doesn't seem as though they're going to stop there either. There are still those rumours of Kai Havertz joining. So that spending isn't ending anytime soon. And when you consider how much they've already spent, I think it's in excess of £130 now. Is Frank Lampard under some pressure to win a trophy because of all this activity in the transfer market, Jonathan? Yes. Um, I mean, all managers are always under pressure at Chelsea. And... Um, he Frank did pretty well last year. In fact, I think he did he did very well. But but um, in Chelsea terms, um, there's always a question if you don't win something. Uh, and I think he will be expected to deliver. And very few Chelsea managers actually go past two years anyway. So he'll be he'll be coming to the end of that by the end of the season. Um, it's interesting. I mean, we, 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 you know, since Roman Abramovich took over, kind of guessing what's in his mind has been uh, a sort of regular thing for, for Chelsea watchers. And why he's you know, rediscovered his taste for the transfer market is, is not quite clear. But Chelsea are really good in business terms. And I, I, I suspect this is possibly driven by a business imperative just the feeling that there are bargains to be had at the moment, there are top players to be had at, at, at knockdown prices and that they're going to use this moment to, to sign them. I'm still not convinced that, a bit like Man City, I'm still not convinced that they've quite solved the, the, the actual problems that they had, which were defensive ones. 
I know they might um, they, they, they might well be getting Silva, Thiago Silva, and they've just signed Malang Sar, who's I think they've been put back on loan. Chilwell, as I said, is a is a really nice footballer, but maybe defensively isn't his best part of his game. So I still have a question mark as to whether Frank um, can deliver that trophy this year with that defence. And of course, if he doesn't, you know he, that that relationship he's got with Bramwich will, will 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 have to be really strong. Tom, what do you think the minimum requirement will be for Chelsea and Frank Lampard this season? I think there has to be progress from from last year. There were not not that um, Frank used them much as, as excuses, but there were there were mitigating circumstances last year with the um, with Hazard's departure and with the transfer ban. Um, there's none of that now. Um, they've they've so far, um, and and it's likely to be the case when the summer finishes. They've had the best transfer window of of any um, team in in the league, and and that that squad has been strengthened massively. I, I completely agree with Johnny that um, the central defence is is what needs addressing big time. Goalkeeper needs addressing. As well, um, and with Thiago Silva coming in as a bit of a stopgap, it seems um, it, it may it may work, but I don't know whether it's the it, it's the solution to to kind of get them as a Premier League contender. But I think they'll they'll then there will need to be progress. They'll need to be at least that third team, and I think they do need to be competing for the the, the Premier League title. And and they need to be. You can't have the exit from the Champions League in the way they did this year um, with a with a squad like this. I don't think it can be humiliating, really. Well, it is a big season ahead then for Chelsea, and that is it for now. Many thanks to Jonathan and to Tom as well. Remember to subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times for award-winning journalism on every platform. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information. Take care. 